afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up? Welcome in. This is Sons of Saturday Irish with Tyler Wojak and Luke Smith. I got to say, morale is pretty high over here as we get you ready to watch Notre Dame take on the Toledo Rockets at home this Saturday. Um, it's going to be the first game back in Notre Dame Stadium at full capacity since November 23rd of 2019 when Notre Dame beat up on Boston College 40-7. to That feels like an eternity ago. The weather yeah, forecast... Was... Yeah, it really was. The weather forecast in South Bend this weekend looks perfect. It's supposed to be 84 and sunny, so a little hot, but whatever. I'll take that over the cold and snow any day. Notre Dame comes in as 17-point favorites with the over-under at 56. So Vegas is expecting something like a 37-20 game with Notre Dame coming out on top. Um, A couple quick notes. Our student writer, Jameson Cook, posted another article on our website going over the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Florida State game. And he takes a brief peek ahead to the rest of Notre Dame's schedule. So go check that out at sonsofsaturday.com slash irish. And while you're there, you should order one or maybe 10 South Bend Bad Boy (laughs) shirts. Uh, as we mentioned before on this podcast and all of our social media accounts, we set up our first NIL deal with Kurt Heinisch and designed a shirt to commemorate it, and it's on sale now. We both got ours. Um, I'll be rocking mine Saturday for the game. We hope to see a few more at the tailgate lot and at the game, so get yours now if you haven't already. Um, but all right, back to Toledo. Luke, you and I both have been to a lot of games at Notre Dame Stadium in the past, and even though Notre Dame is hosting an unranked Mac opponent. Uh, this one feels different for all the reasons I just mentioned. So what are you most excited about for this weekend? It does feel a little bit different. Like, to be honest with you, I haven't even really given that much thought to the opponent until we were doing the research up for this episode, because it's just like, that's so secondary to the focus of what <laughs> the weekend's about. But I guess I'll start from the top. Uh, it's getting back to the tailgate spot. My, the orange man. It's been a tailgate staple for almost 40 years. Last year wasn't the same without it. I, it's a huge part of my mom's social life and her friend's social lives. I know they're ready to get back to that. And frankly, I, I can't wait to be back either. So that's kind of, I guess, top for me. Um, What's the history of that, though? I don't think you've ever actually gone over that. It was started by a bunch of Notre Dame swimmers in the mid eight, early 80s, late 70s, early 80s, uh, when they were an undergrad and just like, They've been running it since, and then more people have been brought into it since, and uh, kind of now they're looking for us as the next generation to start running this, and quite frankly, I don't think I'm prepared for that. But uh, <laughs> So much power and responsibility. But it's been super well run for, like I said, almost 40 years. Like, just so many of my family friends will be there, that, and a lot of them I haven't really seen in a while. So uh, that'll be great. Really excited for that. Um, now, a tradition I have talked about on this podcast, uh, which is something that needs to be there needs to be an evolution from it. Uh, 
as I've discussed, Notre Dame has not lost a home game since I started going to Mulligan's for last call at 2.15 a.m. for a pickleback shot and a beer the Friday night of every home game with my close friends, the Waitulas. Uh, that traces back to, I believe, the Ball State game in 2018. And I think we actually may have gone there before the Navy game in 2017. So, like, there's a couple of earlier ones mixed in as well. But like I said, since we started doing this, they haven't lost a home game. There are literally games I've gone to only for the purpose of continuing the drill. Like in 2019, like the Virginia Tech game, I had no interest in going to that after we got throttled by Michigan. But I went because I wanted to keep the drill going. But that's what we call it, the drill. However, Mulligans is closed for good. I don't know if I discussed this on any of our offseason pods, but uh, Pat Mulligan has yeah, retired to Florida. I okay. I actually went back for its last night on a Friday night in July with my mother and the way to us, which was kind of, I guess, a ridiculous move in retrospect, but Very ridiculous, it, it's, yeah. it seemed right to serve our <laughs> respect. <laughs> but now we need to find something different. So I don't know what that is yet. There's been some discussions this week. I don't, I don't want to reveal anything that doesn't end up coming to fruition, but uh, I'm sure I'll report back next week, whatever we decide on doing, but that's something I need to figure out. Um, and then the third thing, and uh, I say this somewhat sarcastically, but I like it's kind of an issue I need to scratch. I can't wait to get upset at some idiot Notre Dame fans in the stands. Like I often find myself getting more upset at Notre Dame fans than opposing fans. Honestly, like it was classic when Ian Book was the quarterback, just some moron yelling about Book. Like just I cannot wait to get in the face of some fifty-year-old dumbass who just says something completely moronic, and then I'm. I'm in the right. My mom's telling me to shut up. So I can't wait for that. Um, I'm, I'm sure that I'll regret saying this, but I, I look forward to this happening after probably the first stalled drive on Saturday when people are calling Jack Cohen a game manager or something like that. But I'll throw it to you. That's enough about me, but I, I'm excited. <laughs> for me, uh, it's been a running bit since 2017, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And we've mentioned it many times before, but Trinking Miller Lights has been a game day staple for me. And then it's been forced upon a lot of my friends. Um, I was trying to think where it actually started. I, I actually, I know, I think where it is. I think it was either the USC game or the NC State game. It was, it was year. NC State because we had just kicked the shit out of USC the week before, and then we kicked the shit out of NC State, and we're right. like, oh my god, we're like the best team in the country right now. And yeah, we without were just, a doubt. We were walking back from the tailgate lots to legacy and i think we just had like 40 miller lights (laughs) well my dad is the og miller light guy and he always brought a cooler them to the tailgates and i think he brought more than usual that game basically yeah me and everyone who we were with started drinking out of that cooler and considering those games in learning one and the way in which they won it just seemed like all of that had to do uh with the miller light and now i'm just a Miller Lite guy forever. And I think I've converted a few of my friends in the process, all because of this joke that started back in 2017. So I can't wait to crack open the first of many um, on Saturday. Secondly, this is not not sarcastic, peeing in the Joy Center uh, before the game. Normally, peeing in the Joy Center provides some warmth on an otherwise cold and miserable weather day in South Bend. That Navy game that same year when it was like 38 degrees, pouring rain. I think I just sat in the lobby outside the basketball court for an hour just because it was so brutal outside. Like I said, this weekend is going to be the opposite. Yeah, all around just miserable. <laughs> the game was gross too. And that was my like last game at Notre Dame Stadium. What yeah. a lasting memory I'm pretty sure that I was. I was like the only one my grade who went because everybody else was like, why would I go to this game if oh, I yeah. have more years left of this? But I was there. <laughs> 
I've said it before that that's like the one game I I would have left if it hadn't been my very last game, and you know all the seniors go out on the field afterwards. But yeah, it's going to be a scorcher this week. So now the Joy Center is going to be providing some much needed air conditioning, and rather than waiting in line forever to pee at a disgusting porta potty, I'll walk the extra little bit to find the indoor bathroom inside uh, per cell for some air conditioning. Or if I'm at the McKeon tailgate, shout out the McKeons. They've been hosting their tailgate forever. So fortunately, that's like right next to the Joy Center. That's an easy walk. Um, So I'm sure I'll take a few stops in there. And uh, last week, I mentioned um, how excited I was seeing all the fans in the crowd for college football games. And I've been looking forward to this moment in particular since I booked this trip um, when I think you're Kathy Anderson. Is that her name? Richardson. Kathy Richardson. Hearing her sing, here come the Irish into the drop of shipping up to Boston um, by the Dropkick Murphys is, you know, it always gets the crowd going, except maybe the gold seats. They probably hate that shit. Um, But I cannot wait for that moment. It, you know, might be the loudest point in the whole game, assuming we blow this team out. But uh, yeah, I just really can't wait for all those things this weekend. Hard to argue with any of that. Um, Honestly, like it's been so... I guess I can probably out myself at this point. I did go to two games last year. Um, yeah, I don't know I if I've done that yet. enough time has passed where you can yeah. say that you went to the Clemson game. What was the other yeah. one? Why did Florida you State. Oh. Yeah, um, that was kind of a stinker. I don't think anyone cared. Yeah. But, like, I kind of forget what this atmosphere is like, honestly. So, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it will be, and I'm really looking forward to it. We also got a bunch of personnel updates out of South Bend on Thursday. And to be honest, um, none of it was particularly good. For Notre Dame, first, reports started to surface on Wednesday night that senior wide receiver Lawrence Keyes was leaving the football program after he registered just five snaps against Florida State. Coming out of the spring game, there were high hopes for Keyes this season, especially after a strong performance in that game. And he was one of the guys who Kelly claimed to have had a transformational summer, quote. Um, But it looks like the coaching staff just trusts Avery Davis way more in the slot because Davis was on the field for 57 snaps, the most out of any receiver, um, despite not catching a pass. The news was first reported by Matt Freeman of Irish Sports Daily, and Brian Kelly later confirmed the report at his press conference on Thursday afternoon. In that very same presser, Kelly also announced that starting tackle Blake Fisher underwent surgery for a meniscus injury that will keep him out for eight weeks, and backup tight end Kevin Bauman had surgery to repair a fractured fibula that will keep him out for six weeks. And there was more bad news on the other side of the ball as linebacker Shane Simon and Paul Moala both had surgeries this week that will keep them out for the remainder of the season. Simon suffered a torn labrum, and Moala tore his other Achilles in the season opener. I feel especially heartbroken for Moala because this is his second Achilles injury in two years. Um, And look, even though it's football and injuries happen all the time, uh, this is definitely a concerning trend for Notre Dame going into just the second week of the regular season. Yeah, definitely is. I mean, we talked about linebacker being position of strength, and uh, now they've lost three linebackers for the year without playing two games in Maris Leofau, Shane Simon, and Paul Mawala. There's At least they're not the Ravens who have lost their top three running backs before playing a game this year. But that's honestly like the comparison I can come up with. Um, but yeah, it sucks. I mean, that Lawrence Keys news last night, like I was in the same exact spot on a run where I found that out where I was and I found out Marist was out for the year. So uh, I got to stop running, I guess. I, I, I don't, don't run there anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely a little bit troubling. Like with the Keys thing, you got to think an element of it is like, I'm sure the coaches really, really like Avery Davis. And for good reason, he's stuck around despite switching like seven different positions and he's been there forever. 
I'm sure there's an element of I'm never going to be able to supplant this guy. So uh, I understand the frustration, I guess, there. But it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me why he's sitting out. But, hey, that's not really my uh, my room to question there. But uh, but we'll see what he does next. But, yeah, uh, and now Xavier Watts has moved from wide receiver to uh, rover. So we'll see how that goes. We now have seven scholarship receivers. So pretty low depth at both of those spots now, linebacker and receiver. Yeah, like you mentioned, going into the season, we were like, okay, linebacker, there's plenty of depth there. Marcus Freeman is like a lot of different guys to rotate. Now we're throwing a receiver back there. I'm just worried um, because it feels like the start of 2015 when in the season opener against Texas, Notre Dame lost. Darren Folson for the year, they lost. Durham Smythe for the year. And then two starters at big-time positions. And then the next week, Malik Zaire goes out for the rest of the year too. And um this team just doesn't have the talent that that team does, hopefully. Um, Notre Dame's got all the season-ending injuries and all that out of the way, but just given the nature of football and um, a 12-game season, that's unlikely. So more injuries are likely to mount up. And um, I don't really know what I mean can be done to fix any of this. You just got to hope for the best. And now it seems like going up against Toledo, you're just trying to get the win and then get out of there without any more injuries. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, honestly, I'm a little bit worried about the Blake Fisher one just because, like, is he really going to be able to come back after eight weeks as a true freshman? Like, if Carmody's playing well, too, like, do you even want to mess with that? So, I don't know. That one's a little bit disappointing to me. Yeah, and it's almost like, what's the point? Yeah. Also, is a broken fibula really only six weeks? I think that's a lot longer injury than that. (laughs) I thought so, too. Um, It sounds pretty gruesome. I don't know how Fisher, like, didn't suffer any structural damage well if he had surgery then maybe not a tear is what i meant to say right it seems surprising it's really unfortunate too just because getting that first year under your belt now i i guess i'm just thinking like maybe redshirt him even though i don't know really how much that helps if right he's so talented that he's probably not going to be around for five years i don't know it's um it's definitely concerning and you know this is just another season ending injury on the line and Jarrett Patterson suffered a season-ending injury against North Carolina last season. The year before was Alex Bars. Um, it seems like Notre Dame just has one of these a year. It sucks. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess the only thing I'll point of note is that, at least so far, the only like really significant injuries have been Fisher and, and uh, Marist. So hopefully it's not quite like 2015 yet, where just like every starter is going down. But still, it doesn't help from a depth perspective. No. All right. Well... That's it for the injuries when we get to Toledo. Yeah, so Toledo knocked off the fighting Kyle O'Quinns of uh, Norfolk State last week, 49-10. to 10. Uh, If you don't know who Kyle O'Quinn is, I, the only reason I know of Norfolk State is because they beat Mizzou in the tournament that one year when Mizzou was like a two-seed, and Kyle O'Quinn, who played for the Knicks, yeah, was on was that team. Say, yeah, it's there's maybe like three people who recognize that. Yeah, it's, well, there I'm you looking go. it up right now. <laughs> Um, 14 of those 49 points came off two block punts returned for touchdowns. Uh, they also played two quarterbacks in the opener that not just cause it was a blowout. Actually they played three because it was a blowout, but they planned on playing two going in. So another team, another week, another opponent playing two quarterbacks. Although last week that wasn't really true. That only came about yeah. out of necessity. By accident, Maybe they, basically. Yeah. Uh, but the starter for the Rockets, sophomore Carter Bradley, he was 8 of 11 for 183 yards. 
had a 84 yard touchdown pass to Devin Maddox at one point. Um, he also ran for a little over 10 yards on four attempts. And the other guy is Daquan Finn, uh, four or five for 38 yards, ran for 83 yards on nine attempts, and had a 24 yard touchdown run. I guess the star of this offense is uh, Bryant Kobach. He's the running back. He led the team in receiving yards last week. He was preseason Doak Walker award watch list for the third straight year. So I guess he's pretty good. I, I, I'm kind of pleading ignorance here. I, I, the name kind of sounds familiar, but I don't really know a whole lot about him. Um, Toledo also it literally returned the most production of any team in the country. It was 97% of all teams. 22 outside. starters. We talked yeah. about it quite a bit in the preview. Yeah, that was pretty much all I knew about them. And it would be even more if their quarterback didn't medically retire going into this year. So they, I think the stat, let me look this up. They return not only its entire offensive, let me repeat that. Toledo doesn't return just its starting offensive line, but the entire two deep there and their top six receivers from last year are all back. So they have quite a bit of production back. Um, and as Brian Kelly said in his press conference this week, he says this is the best Mac team that they've played since he's gotten to South Bend. So I think, you know, last week they had a pretty balanced offensive attack. They had 205 yards on the ground and 236 yards passing. Scheme-wise, they played a lot of 12 personnel last year. Um, everything I've read seems to suggest that that might be more 11 this year to fit kind of their strengths. But they want to play at a pace. They had about 80 plays per game in 2020. Um, we'll see how Notre Dame, you know, adjusts to that. But listen, the thing for me is it's not really about anything that Toledo's doing. It's just about how Notre Dame responds to whatever the hell that fourth quarter was. Um, the more I look back on that game, kind of the more confused I get by whatever the hell they was, they were doing in that quarter, because like the first three quarters, they had a fair amount of success getting after the quarterback. Yes. They missed a lot of tackles. Yes, there was the 89-yard touchdown run where they just took a couple bad angles and the guy went to the house. But the defense was having a lot of success. And it was basically, and somebody described this earlier, as they adjusted and then – or they over-adjusted and then didn't adjust again in the fourth quarter, which I didn't really get. They were trying to be conservative, and they never got out of that. So I'm perplexed by whatever it was they were doing. But on the converse, I become more confident that that sort of performance wouldn't be repeated or at least shouldn't be repeated. And it seems like a lot of things feel like they can be cleaned up, like the poor tackling we saw on Sunday. So I'm interested to see how they rebound because that was probably one of the worst showings we've seen from that defensive unit in almost like five years. Like, I, I don't know. But I, I just, early on in that game, I didn't even think Forest State was going to move the ball at all. And it, it took a few flute plays to do anything. But then the Irish not only couldn't get out of that three-man front for whatever reason, they, they then had everything working against them including the bad scheme, but also fatigue. And, and the change-up factor, that was Mackenzie Milton coming into that game because there's no doubt that like they, they were playing against one quarterback the entire game, and that just threw them. Even though they probably prepared to play against two, there's no doubt that that change-up had an, an impact on them. Now, I do want to address this because I've heard a lot of people say, well, if he plays that whole game, it's a different story. Wrong. Uh, <laughs> if you watch that game and the two Florida State quarterbacks, you should know that the only reason Milton didn't play the entire game is because he wasn't healthy enough to do so. Like, cause like if played you watch those two guys, I know, but like he played what? Like probably like yeah. 12 minutes of game time. Yeah. So I'm saying he had a chance to win and he didn't do it. I yeah. think that that logic's weak. Well, okay. Great question. Uh, or great point rather. What's important to me is that 
despite that awful collapse in the fourth quarter, they did get a stop in overtime when they needed to. So that happened. Uh, this week's about bouncing back. And like as corny as it is, it's just kind of about playing to a standard. Uh, Brian Kelly can say that it's the best Mac team he's faced Notre Dame. And like I said, that's probably true. But this week is more about Notre Dame and, and less about the opponent. Um, if I had to pick one thing I'm excited about, it's probably seeing Prince Colley he, with some of the injuries that Notre Dame had last week. The linebacker, we saw Colley listed at second on the depth chart at Will Linebacker. I think he should get a lot of time in this game. So I'm excited to see him there. But I, like I said, it's less about what Toledo has to offer and more about Notre Dame just cleaning up some of the sloppiness that we saw last week. Right, and I think part of the deal with Toledo returning all of these starters, a big part of that has to do with the extra year um, due to the COVID season last year. A lot of those guys just wanted to come back and play for this Toledo team because they finished, I believe, four and two in six games last year. So a little bit more to play for this season. And yeah, I'm excited to see Prince Colley too. High school Buckus Award winner last season. Um, is just a physical freak of nature, basically. And, and you and I were actually talking about this uh, before we even started, J.D. Bertrand led all linebackers in snaps. By yeah. a lot. And, he, and he played well. It's by, just... by a significant margin. Right. He was at 70, and Drew White was at 53. Bo Bauer was at 24. We thought we'd see a little bit more rotation there. Jack Kaiser had 41, and Shane Simon had 8, although Shane Simon suffered an injury. Um, so, yeah, it'd be cool to see Prince Kyle get in some action, some young guys. Um, again, he came in as one of the most highly tatted recruits in this class. It'll be exciting to see him. Uh, going forward on the other side of the ball uh, when Notre Dame has it schematically Vince Karras leads the defense for Toledo if you're from Ohio you probably know who that name is because he's a pretty damn good coach he was the head coach for division three powerhouse Mount Union oh is that where Sirianni went yeah some big names from there but what's incredible is in his seven years as the head coach there he compiled an absolutely ridiculous 95 and 6 record with two championships and a couple more championship appearances and look I get it it's division three but you aren't that dominant by accident so it's a really smart football mind good coach uh personnel wise Toledo will be without one of their best defenders uh, for the first half that is starting tackle uh Dewan Johnson because of a targeting penalty he committed against Norfolk State Johnson had eight tackles for loss in six games last season he's pretty solid um also, on the outside, they got Jamal Hines. He's a pretty good pass rusher. He finished with two sacks and four and a half tackles for loss last season. He's kind of undersized. He plays like a D-end outside linebacker hybrid, similar to the Viper position. He's listed at 6'3", 250 in the Toledo media guide, so he's probably a little bit shorter than that. Um, but the team as a whole has a pretty weak pass rush. They finished 91st in sack rate um, in 2020, but something to watch on the edge. Their best player is probably Tyson Anderson. He even made an appearance on Bruce Feldman's freak list for the season, coming in at number 48. That's the first time I heard his name. Um, he's, like, freaky long. Each arm is 33 inches, and he ran a 4.45 with a 38-inch vertical in front of NFL scouts. Not only could he play in the Power Five, he's probably one of the few legitimate NFL prospects on this entire team. He's 6'2", 208, more of a run stopper than he is a pass defender. Um, finished second on the team in tackles that season, despite playing hurt throughout the year. Also, keeping it on the back end, number zero, cornerback Sam Womack. Pretty good cover corner. He's like basically every stereotypical undersized corner you've ever seen. Short, feisty, talks a lot of trash, is physical after the play, mm. kind of is just like a nuisance, really annoying. We had one of those guys in our high school team, and I hated him. 
sidebar. <laughs> uh, but he's definitely susceptible to jump ball. I don't think Notre Dame is going to be scared to throw at him at all, especially if he gets lined up against someone like Kevin Austin. He's got good ball skills, but again, pretty undersized. Notre Dame should be able to do what they want. Uh, Karras has them in a four-two-five base, which is a little unorthodox. Um, but they're probably going to mix it up a ton against Notre Dame yeah. to try to throw them off. And given Notre Dame's you know sloppy performance in the offensive line last week, and now you know they're already down one starter and Blake Fisher, I expect Toledo to blitz and blitz and blitz some more. I mean that's what Ball State did in 2019 oh, or 2018. Thank yeah, God you only played Ball State once. <laughs> Thank God. Um, but yeah, they blitz all all day. And, you know, they forced Notre Dame into some you know, real scary situation there at the end. So I'd expect Toledo to do some of that. That being said, Notre Dame is still way more talented on offense than Toledo is on defense. The quick passing game against the Blitz should be there all day. Um, and now we have a quarterback who sort of thrives in that. And there's just, like, no one on Toledo that can cover Michael Mayer. Yeah. Like, they're going to have to double him all game and have a safety, you know, shadowing over the top and – um, that should create one-on-one matchups for Notre Dame's receivers on the outside. And, you know, it almost seems hard to believe I'm saying this, but like one-on-one matchups with this receiving core, like Notre Dame should have a field day. I mean, is it really hard to believe you're saying that against a, a fucking Mac school? <laughs> like, I mean, kind of. <laughs> Come on. The one thing you did say there that uh, kind of just triggered my memory a little bit, and it's a little off topic, but the, the D tackle off for targeting. Did last week feature the most targeting penalties in a college football week ever? I mean, the Ole Miss-Louisville game was unwatchable. Weren't there, like, four players tossed for targeting in that game? Yeah, and, like, three in the first half, and there was review after review after review. It sucked. They need to figure that out. I mean, geez, but anyways, but, yeah, I I don't know. Like, what I would like to see, and maybe you're going to get into this, but I just want to see the running game get going a little bit, like, give the offensive line some confidence here. I guess, like, as bad as the run game was last week and as kind of unusual as that is – if you look back, like Notre Dame had some issues with that in 2018, I want to say, which this line kind of reminds me of a little bit. A lot of first-time starters. You lose a bunch of studs off the year before. Uh, the Michigan game, I mean, Wimbush used his legs, but they really couldn't run the ball that well. And then no. the Ball State game, they couldn't run the ball at all. Uh, the next week, they're a little bit better. And so we'll see kind of what, what this happens. And that team ended up being a pretty good running team. We saw like just like a bunch of teams last week couldn't move the ball on the ground. Uh, I mean, Iowa State really struggled to run the ball against Northern Iowa. Now, is that that surprising? Maybe not. But uh, but that's kind of just that's another the tale for another day. Oklahoma couldn't run the ball at all against Tulane. So I, I don't know. Like I think Liam Eichenberg. We talked about this on this podcast. Liam said that it, it kind of takes a couple games for an offensive line to gel, and I'm sure that that's especially true with a group as young or maybe not young, but just as, as uh, doesn't have as much time yeah. playing together. Yeah. Yeah. As, as this one is. So I'm not as worried about the offensive line as kind of maybe, you know, terrifying as that performance was the other <laughs> night and, and the run game, not, not necessarily. It was bad. Pass, no, bro. you can say yeah. it was really bad. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. Um, I mean, like, cause you saw it, like when Kyron and Tyree got the ball in space, they were making plays. So like, oh, yeah. they just need some lanes. That's pretty much it. So we'll see, but I would like to see the run game get going. Like I, I know that we can throw the ball now. We showed that last week, uh, but I would like to see the run game, get going. which it seems like a complete back to your point before. seems like a complete inverse of everything we've said the last two years. 
I know. You look at what Notre Dame was able to produce on the ground. I think they had 73 rushing yards. Yeah, that's true. And 61, 61 came, came after, after Thompson. Yeah. So it wasn't like they had these wide open holes. Uh, fortunately, Williams and Tyree got some looks in the passing game a little bit more than we saw last year. And they, and when they got the ball in space, I mean, Kyron's touchdown on that third and goal, you know, it was him and two guys in between him in the end zone, jukes one, and then just basically overpowers the other. Like if you get them in space, they're so good. They're going to excel. Um, yeah, I was thinking back to 2019 with this line because it looked rough early, uh, at Louisville against New Mexico. And then, um, at Georgia, Notre Dame didn't even really consider running the ball. Granted, they were without Jafar Armstrong, but it wasn't, it wasn't even part of the game plan. And then, like a month later, when Notre Dame played USC, they sort of, that's when I think it started getting going there. Tony Jones had a big game, and that's where they really just overpowered them at the end. And we've talked about how it's been like an inverse with uh, Notre Dame's offensive line. It really sucked being on the reverse of that last week like all the people getting mad about how Notre Dame like you know starts to impose their will at the end and then when it felt like Florida State was doing that and just running and getting whatever they wanted yeah I know it's boring but when that's happening against you it's it's pretty awful so uh yeah hopefully we get that straightened out yeah that was just weird uh like I mean and a lot of it I actually don't even want to talk about this again but it's all about the whatever alignment we were in and why we stayed in that but Whatever. Um, I'm glad we're past that and that we got out of the twilight zone there. Yeah. And I think like like what Greg was saying in uh, our recap episode, this is going to be the worst it is. Yeah. Um, you just hope that already being down one starter, it would it would be even worse if you know more guys go down and then Notre Dame's in a position where they got to shuffle guys around because if it's an already inexperienced unit and you're trying to maybe shift Patterson to tackle if that's what it takes, like you don't want to have to deal with that. Let me ask you this before we get into predictions. Do you think that you'll learn anything about Notre Dame regardless how this game goes, you know, barring a catastrophic performance and they lose, which I don't see happening, obviously? Yeah, definitely. Um, even though it's a just a MAC team, if they come out, get a lead, and, and dominate and sort of don't play conservative, because Notre Dame was right there in a position to pull away and sort of step on their necks and put Florida State away. True. Um, if Notre Dame is in another position and they sort of just go to conservative again and keep them in the game, that would be a little bit concerning. If they're in a position yeah. where they get a lead, Toledo shows some life, and then they just stomp on them with some big plays, I think it would show a little bit more maturity. And again, I get it. It's Toledo. It's not a MAC team. But um, this is going to be a team that continues to grow and develop so much as the year goes on that I think every week we should hopefully see significant improvement and learn a lot than the week before. Okay. I guess I could have worded that as, because I don't think anything could happen that would improve my perception of this team this week. Like, but I think you're right. Probably the inverse could, could occur. That said last week with how everybody else played, I'm not sure that my perception of how this season will go really changed at all. So Mm -hmm. that is what it is, but Okay, fair enough, fair enough. I guess one more thing to add there. I guess, as you were saying, Toledo likes to push the ball down the field. Since we didn't really get a great sense of what our defensive backs are outside of God, Kyle Hamilton. If Clarence, Clarence Lu- Lewis. Yeah, Clarence Lewis played pretty well, yeah. If we see those guys step up, maybe make some good plays in the ball, even though they're playing inferior talent, it'd be encouraging to see and, and also just help build them confidence, you know? 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think we can trust Clarence Lewis, CPA, but uh, Cam Hart, some of those other guys, that uh, that that probably would be a beneficial thing. Yeah. All right. Uh, you want to get into scoring predictions? Yeah, I'm going uh, 52-14 Irish. Um, <laughs> now, like, I, I, I think I said 42-14 last week. Uh, yeah, I don't think team. you've ever picked a game where Notre Dame didn't win by at least, like, two scores, except, no, I say that, except the Rose Bowl. I mean, I picked I picked us to lose that game. <laughs> you actually were more um, reasonable than I was. I'm pretty sure I said the ACC championship game was going to be close too. Uh, obviously, that wasn't. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Toledo very well maybe one of the best teams in the MAC, but Notre Dame very well maybe one of the best teams in the country, and I expect that to be on full display. Like I think they bounce back defensively. Clean up the sloppiness and, and light it up again on offense, and this is never really close. I want to see Franchise and Chris Tyree in the run game get going and, and the defense to be sound, but like nothing in this game should be interesting from the opponent's side of things. Like I, I'm not like it's nothing. It's a fa- it truly is a faceless opponent the way I see it. Like you can tell me they have all this production. This is going to be their tough. People said this is going to be the toughest of the first three games. I don't know about that. Um, I just, I just don't believe that. They clearly never watched a Notre Dame Purdue game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm going 52-14 Irish. Okay, I mean, yeah, I think if if everything goes to plan for Notre Dame, that could definitely be possible. I think it's going to be closer to 44-20. Um, the last time Toledo played a Power Five team on the road was back in 2019 at Kentucky. Anyone who has ever been to Kroger Field there in Lexington will tell you it's not the craziest environment. So the atmosphere on Saturday will be unlike anything this team is experience before um, but given the experience on the roster I don't expect them to be phased by it that much um, if anything I think those guys will come out even more excited to play than normal because it's such a unique situation for them I predicted a slow start for Notre Dame in the season opener which was uh, wrong until it was kind of right Notre Dame <laughs> marched right down the field and scored and then it took a while to get going again after that but I do expect another slow start this weekend um, I wouldn't be surprised if the score was still tied after the first or something like that, in which case you're going to be getting all sort of heated arguments with Notre Dame fans in your section if if that really is the case. But unlike back in 2018 when Notre Dame really struggled against Ball State, this team has a really good quarterback. So even if things start a little slow, we can count on Jack Cohn to get the ball down the field and score. And Toledo just simply doesn't have the athletes to match up with Notre Dame for four quarters. Um, the defense still has a lot to figure out, so they'll probably give up some points as frustrating as that may be. Um, but in the end, Notre Dame's offense will be way too much, and they'll pull away 44-20. Subtle dig at Winbush there, but a dig I mean, nonetheless. <laughs> wasn't that the game, or was it the Vanderbilt game that he was benched? I think it went Ball, ball State. It, well, no, Vanderbilt. it was – I mean, dude, Book played in all three of those games. They'd bring him in at the goal line. Those were the only times they scored. Yeah. The, the writing was on the wall there, and then it took yeah. a little while. Looking back, that's just like so crazy for a quarterback switch three games in. Okay, that's actually a really good point, though, um, because that season and 2012 are somewhat indicative, in my opinion, of like what you see from Notre Dame in the first month may not have like any bearing on the rest of the season. Like, if you think about those two seasons under Brian Kelly, September was really ugly until like the last week of the season. Uh, or sorry, the last week, the last week of September. That was here when people were ranking Michigan ahead of Notre yes. Dame, even though Notre Dame beat them in the season over right. because Notre Dame didn't win convincingly enough up until exactly. Stanford in like mid October. Right. So, like, as long as you keep winning the games, like, I don't know how 
how like, you know, indicative that is of how the season's going to go. Like 2012 was the same way where they couldn't score a lot of points, but I mean, obviously this, we scored a lot of points and defensively it's, it, it was a, a struggle last week, at least in the fourth <laughs> quarter. But I, I don't know. I just like I, I don't like making sweeping generalizations from one week, which says a lot because I think a lot of people would probably say that I do go to extremes or overreact. But I think that I'm pretty level headed when it comes to that, because we've seen under Brian Kelly a lot of growth throughout the season. We've also seen it where we started six and oh and ended eight and four. So uh, I don't know, <laughs> like or seven and five, actually. Right. Wasn't that in 2014? So started um, up, yeah, yeah, six and zero, and they went over four in November. Yeah, so there were a lot of people that wanted that were just really upset about week one, and I get it. Like, there's definitely room for concern, but I guess I weirdly don't feel as concerned as some others might be. I think that's fair. This has been sort of what people expected. The team in the week one is certainly not going to be the team at the end of the season. There's plenty of room to grow. The one part, I guess, where I kind of worry about the development. Um, just because we haven't seen it before would be the offensive line, but we've already talked about them enough. Um, this is just really a prove it year for Jeff Quinn. I mentioned it in the season preview first year with no, he stand recruited players or former players. So that sort of legacy that he's built is, is carried exclusively through the players. Um, and now we have to see if they can develop um, throughout the season as it goes on. But uh, you got any more final thoughts? No. Nothing for me. My computer is about to die, so I was trying to plug it in. <laughs> <laughs> All good. All right. That's a wrap for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate all the support to start the season. Um, we'll be back on Tuesday to go over everything from this weekend. And in the meantime, if you see us around South Bend, say what's up. Um, and for everyone else, we'll see you Tuesday.